Well, I'm going to go to number two. What's an opinion okay. that you have that might surprise people or be otherwise unpopular? I love brutalist architecture. Um, oh, God. I just love bare concrete and open spaces uh, and gray. Fucking communist. <laughs> oh, man. At least you didn't call me a fascist. Cause... Are they different, really, in practice? <laughs> oh, let's not get into that. Okay. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, I don't know, an honest kind of utilitarian thing. Like, obviously, I don't want it to be the predominant style because that'd be uh, a little horrific. But in terms of its charm in the man-made landscape, it's, it has a certain appeal for me. Interesting. My Viewfinder is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. This episode of My Viewfinder is brought to you by The Explore Podcast, a new fiction anthology podcast brought to you by Jupiter Theatre with Media Lab YYC. Each episode takes an imaginative dive into the past and future of your city, transporting you to fictional worlds that mirror our own through music and the power of the voice. The stories will immerse you in rich audio dramas while you explore the world through a new lens. Grab your headphones and set off on an urban adventure into the city through stories of speculative fiction, with episodes ranging from film noir and magical realism to urban fantasy and indigenous mythology. Listen to Explore on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and visit theaterjupiter.com explore to find out more. This week... I Zoom with Louis Villanueva, local photographer, book lover, and a celebrity. That's a bit of a joke, but if you love photography and cameras and shop at the camera store here in Calgary, chances are that you know Louis. We start off with a loose chat about the craft, about books, and about approaches to photography as a way of life. For Louis, this isn't a hobby, it isn't a distraction. This is a commitment to absorb into a process that reflects not only how this machine records light, but how images reflect ourselves. Well, at least that's how I felt when I was talking to him. I've got a lot more fascinating photographers on deck, so don't forget to subscribe and rate this work. Send me your comments, and if you've got something to say about photography, about philosophy, or, or life in general, uh, get in touch with me. Let's sit down on mic. Let's get it on record. This is my talk with Louis. And you're listening to my viewfinder. What, uh, I mean, I don't know if it's a single event, but maybe you can give me an idea of what that transition was. So it sounds like you start, yeah, with this thing where you have this tool and it allows you to interact with other people. In, I mean, we could spend a little bit of time on that and whether photography, <laughs> in fact, allows you to interact with people or if you're always kind of in the periphery, but at least you're engaging with the, uh, with your peers, the public, but now you're talking about it transitioning away or perhaps even through that into um, a life calling. I mean, what, what, what was it? What, what's evolved? Uh, what's happened in that time period, whatever that time period is that you feel so much more personally connected to the process itself? I don't know. I, I think sitting down and, and being asked about it more often has sort of turned... Like you do things a lot more often than not without any sort of prompt. Um, but there is certainly a learned skill in terms of talking about what you do and why you do. A lot of folks 
do incredible work, but they don't really have the capacity to maybe talk about it in the way that they, they're confident about it. Um, like for example, one artist that I'm sort of grappling with right now that some people love, uh, some people hate, is Jeff Wall. Um, his work visually it ticks some boxes for me uh, sometimes. Um, and then other times it, it, it does sort of stray away from the sort of a spoon feeding pop that I'm used to seeing on Instagram all the time. Um, so it does actually get a lot of value out of his skill in articulating the work. Like if you do um, sort of read his essays or watch interviews with him, he's incredibly skilled at talking about his work and what he's trying to say or articulate in sort of the context of, of, of art. Um, and, and that's certainly something I admire him for. Otherwise, there's also work that kind of doesn't nece necessitate um, so much speaking. Like I, I, I picked up a book by Indian photographer Raghbir Singh. Um, he passed away a while ago, but it's sort of a collection of, of uh, sort of street photography, essentially. He's known as kind of outside of India, India's most famous photographer. And half the book is essays. And I was completely annoyed by that. Like there's a certain, like taking those words out, I, I don't think diminishes the power of the work um, in that specific case. But with certain types of work, I, I do find the text uh, valuable just in terms of maybe like adding another take on it. Um, because what I love about photography, well, one of the many things I love about photography is how generous it is. Um, much like, I don't know, poetry, because it doesn't, I don't know, force feed you the answer all the time. Uh, I like subtlety um, and photography is, is restrictive enough to force people to be subtle sometimes. It's interesting. I, I'm just trying to think about, I mean, one of the things that I struggle with with art in general is this idea particularly in modern art uh, that art requires contextualization that mm. um i mean i negatively would use the concept uh, word of uh, politicization so in other words there's this gray area between in our case let's say uh, forming taking or uh, capturing an image and then telling the world what it's meant to mean. Um, and so, like you were just talking about this idea of, um, you know, putting it into a box versus allowing people to interpret it as they see fit. Um, the latter, I think there's a purist, idealistic, and likely very childish approach where we just, you know, it's laissez-faire, like, oh yeah, this is, this is an image. Uh, I like it. I can't tell you why, you know, if you like it, great. If you don't, fuck off. But um, in the commercial art space or the art space in which people feel they need to be recognized or need to have their thought process um, expressed, then all of a sudden we get into this thing where a photo book is 50% words 
which feels like kind of a corruption of the concept of a photo book, right? I, I, uh, I get caught there a little bit. Uh, and it's not ironic, but it's interesting to reflect back on your answer about uh, communist concrete buildings and this idea of utilitarian um, approach to, let's say, architecture. Um, you know, do we need uh, like some of these modern art buildings for people to explain why, let's say, a structure should be impossible in its manifestation and because of the technology we put into its support, you should be in awe that this thing can even stand. Um, or should it speak for itself? I don't know. Um, yeah, no, I think, I think it lies in the generosity of art in its flexibility um, where you've got the, let's use photography, I guess. Um, there's the moment itself that what actually is happening in quotes, the photograph of the moment, there's the memory of the moment. There's also the interpretation somebody might have of the photo in of, of itself. Um, there's also maybe the artist's intent or what they're, they were trying to capture, but also there's, there's maybe what they were maybe trying to say. So there, there's this, thousand plateaus of like conclusions you can come to with 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 art with the context it's placed in and i find that like very beautiful there's a certain ge generosity in in pieces that have a lot to give in terms of a starting point for conversation or somebody's else else's ideas um like if i don't know let's let's say a piece in an exhibition, um, several people don't necessarily jive with it. Um, they like the other piece in the other room more so, just sort of at first glance. And, and then you have some people that, that look at the work and are invigorated by it. Maybe one in a thousand people, are, their lives, lives are changed by it. Now, to, to make it sort of a universal uh, life-changing experience every time is sort of impossible. But I think the, the generosity of, uh, and, and the beautiful thing about art in general is, is the ability for it to engender a, a, a spectrum of different conversations and, and reactions to it. Do you think that differs from other communicative mediums? I mean, even outside of art? I, I mean, I suppose in reflection, news has lost a little bit of this uh, ability to generate conversation, and now it's just tending towards polarized hate speech. But um, it's interesting you bring it up. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I remember, I don't know, loosely there's that story of, what is it, the ancient Chinese court musician, and then when the powers that be falter, he ends up, sort of like living on the streets but still playing an instrument and someone comes up to him and asks why he's still playing this instrument starving to death and he says every day one person still comes to listen to me play and uh, mm. you know and that gives his life meaning um, what I hear I, and I, I don't know if it's just the mind space I'm in today is uh, there's this power that you're seeing in this communicative ability, not necessarily to have a, a direct one-to-one -one conversation, but to build something that can start a conversation, 
which is I th- I don't know is isn't it different than just the process and participation of the art itself? Is it art if there's no audience? Is it is it worth doing if nobody can actually have that conversation? I mean, if it's like if 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 you make something and you feel compelled to, I think scratching that itch or giving yourself that little bit of joy is worth it for sure. Um, I think art in a vacuum like that can certainly give somebody personally a lot of solace in, in the act of making. There's even the, the concept of uh, Holocaust art, like art made in the camps. Like there, there was certainly a, a mindset or a possibility that nobody would ever see or appreciate that might suffer or die the next day, but there's certainly a lot of value in in the act of making itself, um, which you can extrapolate and say, yeah, there's a little bit of self-help or mindfulness in making art for a lot of people, um, which is something I'm definitely grateful for personally. Is that, I mean, uh, I don't know. How does that reflect on you? <laughs> I don't know. I uh, I have had or, I don't know, continue to struggle with depression. Um, now it's certainly diminished in terms of its influence on, on my day-to-day and my life, thanks to, yeah, therapy, medication, but also personal practice and finding, yeah, a vocation. Um, not feeling useless. Now, useless as in, sure, I'm contributing to society by like making photographs for clientele, working at a camera store, making pretty pictures that might, people might appreciate, sure. Um, that's in sort of a commercial context, but for me personally, I do, yes, derive a lot of meaning and personal fulfillment from just making photographs. Um, so yeah, again, the gratefulness there, and, and a lot of people can attest to this, is a little bit of a feedback loop. Like, I'm, I'm feeling good about feeling grateful, and that makes me feel even better. Um, so that does make me continue doing what I'm doing, because it seems to be working out. And speaking about this, I'm interested in your process. I mean, you know, I think you've got a, several different types of projects, different mm-hmm. types of shooting, and you have a job, both uh, shooting for clients and selling equipment, et cetera. Um, and then not just equipment, but interacting with other photographers through the community of the camera store. So um, I don't know. I mean, I, I harp a lot because I was uh, impressed when you told me last year about your trip to Spain, but um, maybe you could give me an idea of some of these uh, project minded or sorry uh, yeah i mean a project uh, process like how, how are you visualizing the whole thing is it something that builds upon itself how does th- how do these things evolve and what are the differences than just say carrying a point and shoot or a range finder or something like on the street and taking random pictures and yeah so spain uh was yes yeah, certainly a, a very intentional trip although a little bit last minute about a month before I had left, um, 
I emailed about a hundred different people, just finding them through Google, professors, journalists, whatnot, essentially asking to get into contact with Spanish Civil War veterans. Now, 80 years on from the conflict, they're all probably a hundred years old. And, and most of the emails that got back to me say, said they're, that they're all dead with maybe a handful left alive. And through a, a few different contacts, I um, got in contact with a fellow named Ed Boada, uh, Edward, and he uh, is a teacher there, but happened to know and live in the same town as one of the veterans, uh, just outside of Barcelona. Now, I guess before I go on there, the locus of the project came from a fascination with the history of that time period um, in terms of the seeming parallels of what we've been going through in the last four, five, maybe 10 years of this pre-war invigoration of the left um, politically, the infighting, but also the rise of fascism and um, sort of authoritarian or populist regimes in, in multiple countries. Um, the parallel was, was just so interesting to me and, and the sort of causes the Republican side in, in Spain at the time was so fascinating together with all the literature about it, Hemingway, Orwell, I wanted to sort of make things a little bit more real for myself, meet these people, um, have an excuse to visit Spain, <laughs> take a vacation too, but uh, also obviously photograph. So I met with um, Edouard out there in Tarragona, uh, about an hour outside of Barcelona in the province of Catalonia, um, and their sort of trials and tribulations right now with uh, independence or, or, or trying to be independent and the subsequent arrest of, of their government um, was an interesting sort of piece of context too. Uh, I, I visited last year in February in 2019 and our tour was had just turned 100 years old. He was um, conscripted, I believe, calculated sort of range finded for artillery battalions during the during the war. He narrowly escaped going into a concentration camp um, across the border in France uh, after his so it was temporarily exiled. But he would ring the cathedral bells every day um, in in the town as sort of a homage to his late wife. And he had been doing that every day at noon for like 20 years. So I, I met him there, photographed him there. Anyways, among the other two that I photographed, it slowly turned into not so much a documentary project um, as, as sort of the, the, the main reason for going, but it turned into a, a personal pilgrimage. Um, again, making things a bit more real for myself, seeing these places, meeting these people, talking to them, photographing them. So the photographs cer certainly took like a, a secondary role, um, even though I'm, I'm constantly seeing and, and trying to visualize what to photograph, because that's how my brain works. And without the camera, 
mean, I take the garbage out with a camera around my neck. But the actual photographs themselves soon became secondary and they're, they're in a little bit of a limbo right now in terms of a, there's a rough layout and sequence to them with some text. Um, but I'm waiting for, I don't know, anybody interested in publishing it or a grant or maybe just putting it out there in the world. But it's not necessarily the priority right now because, I don't know, there are other things going on in life. I'm still photographing other things. And a lot of the value I got out of that trip was a lot of that personal fulfillment of, yeah, meeting Neos Catala, who, yeah, survived two different concentration camps, sabotaged arms for the French resistance, and just the whole experience, I think, gave me a reminder of the photographs can be secondary um, when, when a lot of the times they are sort of the fo forefront of my mind. I've, I've written down so many notes. I mean, one of the things that I wanted to ask you is, I mean, I, I've been through you know, depression, addiction, all this other stuff. And one of the interesting definitions I found, uh, well, definitions, but experiences of uh, depression is that it's, most people should understand if you haven't had it, that it's not being sad. It's like mm. nullity. It's like, uh, it's like you can't find any energy to do anything. You kind of just get stuck in a mire. But then you talk about having this inspiration, which I want to get into too, about, uh, you know, I was just asking like, why Spain? But you kind of uh, loosely kind of threw at me that you read, which is great. Books are interesting. <laughs> um, but what fascinates me, Louis, and maybe you could give me at least a little bit of insight here is uh, that action step. So having the inspiration to look more deeply, that's that's fascinating um, to want to relay your hobby, vocation, and skills as a photographer. Conceptually is interesting, um, but making the step to actually reach out to people, I mean, where does that come from? That's a fascinating thing because I think that is a huge holdup for, uh, I won't just say artists, but like I think general life. Um, there's this block between... I won't, yeah, knowing or feeling an intuition that you should do something or something else and then actually doing it. So, um, you know, how, how did that come about? Do you, I mean, is it a conscious decision or is this something that's natural to you to uh, take an idea and actually email random people, contact random people in a completely different, uh, right, culture, language, uh, hemisphere? Um, you know, is there something that conscious? Is there something that happened around that time that, that pushed you to, to kind of stretch out that way? I can't recall, to be honest, in terms of like a nailing down a moment or a, some sort of epiphany about, oh yeah, I should go to Spain. But it was, it was almost like, oh, I have an essay due tomorrow. I need to do all the homework right now, tonight, uh, or I'm screwed. So the analogy is there where I don't know, I've been casually photographing a lot of personal work, mostly like street photography. A lot of the earlier work there, certainly inspired by a lot of, yeah, mid-century or early 20th century street photojournalism, decisive moment stuff, but also looking at the world and being, oh, what what is my work for? Sure, the client work fulfills a financial need of mine, and fulfills a 
sort of, at least with the wedding photography, a memory capture and uh, longing for, uh, people have with, with, with moments and events like that. But I, I guess I looked at myself and, and, and what a lot of friends were doing in terms of activism and, and uh, social justice stuff. It's like, what am I doing? Like, am I making the world a better place at all? Um, and I didn't want to be, I didn't want to force myself to photograph something I, a community I, I was, didn't really care about or, or was a part of. And with Spain, I certainly identified with, um, politically at least, a lot of sort of the, the feeling coming out of Catalonia, um, historically too. So I found that connection was enough to pursue making photographs out there and maybe letting people know what happened before because the inevitable uh, thing that happens when you forget history is obviously repeating it. So I think that might answer your question. Yeah, it's fascinating. It, it, I'm going to say it does and it doesn't, not because I think you're holding anything back, but I think, I think it's amazing and inspiring. And I think that, um, at least personally, one of the things that I struggle with is getting out of my head and actually putting my hand out and touching something. So, you know, I, I think it's amazing that you moved out that way. Um, you know, referencing a peer group um, or people that you just know casually that are actually active uh, is important. Yeah, I don't even want to use the word but. I, maybe I'll use and. I don't, I don't know what the right conjunction is, but I think that bridge to, I mean, I even in this conversation, to kind of communicate to other photographers to do, if not a bigger thing, but a thing, right? Like going to get outside of their box. Um, that's a fascinating world to be in. I And I don't want this to be a conversation where we try to pick at you or psychoanalyze any of that shit. It's just... Uh, no, friend, uh, I, I think someone once said friendship is amateur uh, psychoanalysis, uh, psychoanalysis. So feel free to uh, be an armchair Dr. Freud here. No, no, no. I, it's not because I have an intent or uh, insight. It's just uh, more, you know, I just think more abstractly. Uh, I, I'm just so focused on this idea of uh, acting. All right, Louis, who's your favorite person and why? Oh, <laughs> this is the one that I had the most trouble with. Good. I had to sort of ruminate a little bit because I don't actually like very many people. Um, I thought about it and it's someone I don't know very intimately, but I appreciate them a lot and just every interaction seems to be a good one. Um, her name's Amy Gardner. Uh, she's from Calgary, uh, although sort of based out of Brooklyn now. She comes back to Calgary once a year to visit her mom. Uh, out there, she's like a choreographer, dancer, photographer. She like choreographs Bieber and Madonna and Billie Eilish. Um, and she comes to the store to pick up film uh, once a year and say hi. But then one day she was like, hey, I'm stuck here in Calgary um, for a amount of time and she organized sort of a shoot with um, some like teen pop star I'd never heard of uh, apparently is known <laughs> so uh, to do album cover photos for her and 
she, I don't know, for some reason thought of me and was like, hey, Louie, do you want to come help out? So that was an incredible time sort of witnessing a mid-career creative professional do their thing um, and also just get to know her a little bit more. So that's been a cool professional relationship to explore. And yeah, she's just sort of someone to look up to a little bit aspirational way. See, I told you, as soon as you start talking to me about photography, it's great. (laughs) Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who you buy your energy from. If you choose Park Power, your money stays here. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference in their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kozowski, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. Learn more at parkpower.ca.